This is an ABC podcast. Society continues to plunge, lunge forward. Uh, AI has uh, gained prominence, promising to make life easier. Global politics is more progressive in what may be this brief moment between uh, Trump presidencies. Oh, and modern science was able to make a vaccine against the modern plague at breakneck speed. But all this progress... Some are looking to the past for answers on how to live. The phrase tradwife has emerged with a new wave of young women shunning fourth-wave feminism and instead they've decided that they'd rather rely on the bloke and uh, are quite happy staying home and keeping home. But why would millennial women chose this lifestyle which reminds one of the Stepford Wives. That's what Sophia Sykes wondered and with the help of supervisor Dr Veronica Hopner at Massey University compiled her thesis on the matter and they join me now from Aotearoa. Sophia, what is a trad wife and uh, what fascinates you about them? Uh, Trap Wives are an influential community of right-wing women um, that, as you said, espouse that traditional feminine persona of being a wife and mother um, versus going out and um, necessarily having a career um, and doing what you said the fourth wave um, feminists are like more likely to do. I think what interested me in them is, as a woman myself and a woman of um, a high career ambition, I'd like to think, um, it was fascinating to kind of observe this rising trend of women, like you say, looking back into the past, but equally having quite modern lives in terms of promoting themselves exclusively on social media um, and kind of that relationship between quite a old school way of living versus holding an influencer almost status. You followed 32 accounts on social media uh, which uh, promoted this lifestyle with women of different ages, nationalities. What were your principal observations? Uh, We had four. One, that these women um, exist across a right-wing landscape um, two, that they exist on multiple different platforms um, as in terms of social media platforms. Three, they are all aligned by a distaste of feminism and uh, for femininity. And four, that most of them um, have some form of commodification on their uh, online pl- platforms as well. Are they powerful? I think, well, from what we found, some of them, yeah, definitely are powerful. They hold quite high um, followings, which the higher the following that you have, research shows that the more influential that you, that you are. Um, not all, though. So I understand the uh, the leading communities range between 20,000 and 200,000 followers. Yeah, correct. That's a lot, a <laughs> lot, a lot of people. Uh, Veronica, We've seen, of course, violence from um, men linked to right-wing extremism. Do these women espouse, well, homophobia, anti-Semitism? Um, oh, absolutely, yes. They, are, they come from the same communities that the, the men come from. So um, depending on what kind of uh, position they hold in the tradwife landscape as we sort of plotted it to make sense of it, um, we didn't find anyone necessarily um, 
promoting violence in a kind of motivating way, but certainly there was a lot of implicit messaging um, by some of the alt-right women around sanctioning use of violence to um, to achieve an end state of a white ethno state or some sort of separatist kind of homeland. Wow. Now, Veronica, clearly there's a, there are other patriarchal faiths, but what role does Christianity as such play for these women? Um, well, we found that they were divided into either pagans or Christianity. So when we talk about Christianity, we are talking about very fundamentalist parts of Christianity. So the old Catholics, very evangelical um, Christians, so very literal biblical interpretations of gender, traditional gender roles, ways of heteropatriarchal type ideas around who they were and um, what sort of expressions they had in terms of sexuality, in terms of motherhood and in terms of their own uh, gender roles. It's interesting that they're often shown wearing head coverings or and or aprons, which are symbolic, a symbolic nod to uh, their commitment to God, Bible and husband. Yep. Sophia, probably do you want to talk to this one? Yeah. Um, one way we kind of wrapped up the way these women present, and it, as, you, as you've pointed out, it is quite a distinct presentation with the with the head coverings and quite purposeful, um, was a lot of these women within their identity kind of held what we call a trad wife aesthetic. Um, so they presented themselves based on the community that they kind of wanted to create around them. So as you've pointed out, whether that be religious with a biblical head covering, um, whether that be more of the 90s, 50s look that I think a lot of people would be most familiar with, um, with that kind of apron, very much housewife persona. So, yeah, all of them, I think, created their own unique identity within the trad wife kind of umbrella. Veronica mentioned the paradox of paganism. Tell me about paganism's role. Yeah, we found that paganism was a really interesting, I guess, enigma in terms of the fact that one would assume that a lot of these women would sit within a Christianity um, space, but we found that the most extreme women sat within this idea of ethnic paganism, um, which is paganism centred around that kind of idea of white ideology, white supremacy, extending the white race. But we're talking about people who adopt mythological figures, gods and goddesses that haven't been seen lately. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's part of the um, the, the, the pagan religion. Um, and it, as we know, it, it exists across the left to the right. But yes, these women were adopting um, those god-goddess figures um, that kind of espouse that form of femininity. Now, we've established we're talking about a predominantly white female phenomenon. But did you observe, Sophia, women from a diverse cultural background engaged with this lifestyle? Yes, um, absolutely. And I think that comes down to how we position these women within that conservative right through to alt-right. Yes, there were a lot of white women, but definitely people of colour and people of all different walks of life were within the data set as well. Veronica, the last five years have been hugely eventful from Trump to the pandemic. How have uh, world events shaped the movement? Um, So I think quite considerably, um, I think the fear, the uncertainty to trying to make sense of COVID-19, where it came from, what it meant, 
um, the lightning speed, as you mentioned in your opening statement around vaccine manufacture, really created, obviously, as we've seen a lot of conspiracy theories. So at the heart of some of these communities were already conspiracy theories. I mean, a lot of these conspiracy theories are just rehashed. Um, so I think at people that were looking for making some meaning in all of the anxiety-provoking change that happened at lightning speed that might have already had potentially a distrust in government. And remember that people that sit um, in the extreme right that we sort of looked at already feel that there should be little um, state intervention in their lives anyway. They already kind of have this idea that mainstream media is, can be ungodly, untrustworthy. So um, <laughs> all of these things, I think, just really created a perfect storm for these women that might have seemed quite fringy before to people outside of their own communities, suddenly seeming a lot more uh, mainstream, a lot more appealing, a lot more coherent and a lot more stable. Um, so they were able to offer, I think, a lot of security to people looking um, potentially for answers. Veronica, that golden oldie, the new world order, mm. is uh, also rearing its head. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, sort of under the, the whole kind of new world order is um, is the anti-Semitism, that it's the new world order is run by um, a group of shadowy Jewish cabal and that, you know, the governments of the West are kind of Zionist-occupied governments, um, <clears throat> that there is a lot of sort of conspiracy, and we saw it in New Zealand um, when people started to um, consider that because Jacinda Ardern and Justin Trudeau and a number of other figures had been on World Economic Forum Young sort of leadership courses, that that was the time that they were recruited. There was a lot of um, thought around BlackRock, which is huge investment, the world's largest investment form, sort of having this great reach sort of into our affairs and kind of running this new world order type thing. So, um, yes, it, it's definitely um, really underpins uh, a lot of their rhetoric. What our listeners may find most extraordinary of all is also a left-wing side of the movement. Tell me about the so-called crunchy mums. Yeah, so crunchy mums do have um, that same idea around um, things that are natural, things that are organic, <clears throat> um, things um, around kind of natural home birthing. So a lot of the things that they, they do share with um, right-wing women, but they're not, um, I guess the thing that differentiates them, obviously, is their ideology. A crunchy mum could be... Uh, a, a gay mother, um, a lesbian woman, whereas a right-wing woman, you know, it would only ever be heterosexual. So they do share some of the same ideas and around vaccines again, but probably for quite different sort of reasons. One's coming from a very um, organic, natural kind of perspective and the other one's coming from different anti-science type ideologies and different things that underpin them. Sophia, what makes these young women, educated in the 2000s, decide to take this on? What is, well, the turning point? What makes them anti-feminist? Yeah, I think 
it kind of comes back to especially the the most recent sort of iteration and rise, I guess, of um, some of these this trav wife kind of idea, and especially this one online, comes from, you know, we think about if it, if it kind of occurred around that 2019, 2020 sort of space, which it appears it, it may have, and it's kind of been slowly sort of increasing since then. I think a lot of women are coming into this age of life and, and finding that society isn't maybe serving them as well as as they thought that it would. We think about like global living crisis. We think about um climate change even we think about um the COVID-19 pandemic and all of these massive things that are happening kind of within our environment at the moment and often what if you think about from a psychology perspective often what happens when all these big things happen in our life is that we become quite insular and we focus back on that kind of nuclear biology unit um and so for a woman you know staying at home being a wife and mother that's quite a safe place for her to be um, a second part to that, I think if we come back to the idea of these women as social media influencers, they're very clever in the way that they present themselves. They're all very beautiful. They live very desirable lives. Um, they appear very happy. Um, and so if you're a woman who's feeling slightly despondent or are, are not sure where to go next or feeling confused, that's probably one way um, that one could be uh, the trade wife kind of lifestyle could be appealing. But in saying that, one of the really strong things that we did find is that there appears to be a sort of an innate alignment or um, some sort of other affiliation with right wing. That might not be an extreme right wing, but in terms of coming from a Christian background where maybe when you were a kid, traditional gender roles were quite um, your parents held traditional gender roles, that kind of thing. So there, there was some form of predisposition that may lead to these women, you know, it would be an easier thing for you to lean into this trad wife lifestyle if you kind of had some of these ideas already ingrained in you. Sophia, what is choice feminism? I think choice feminist theorists would would probably highly not necessarily disagree, but but be maybe cringing in their seats if they knew that some of these women were taking up some of th- this kind of ideology um, or relating it back to choice feminism. Because yes, choice feminism is is about personal choice, but that's why probably neither Veronica or I are <laughs> feminist researchers. But it, it, one way that we were able to kind of theorise the way that these women tried to take on this almost anti-feminism, femininity kind of approach was through the idea of choice feminism in the sense that a lot of these women talked about the reason why they've decided to be a trad wife is because they chose to and no one should be able to tell them not to because it is their choice. It's kind of that that, that positioning that these women are not victims. They are actively choosing to partake in this lifestyle. The voices of Sophia Sykes and Dr Veronica Hopner. And I thank you both for joining me. Sophia Sykes is a postgrad researcher at Massey University and Dr. Veronica is a senior lecturer in the School of Psychology. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.